in John chapter 6 again this morning, verses 22 through 59. It's a longer passage, so I'm going to go ahead and read it for us. And then um, we'll dive in together. John 6, 22 through 59. On the next day, that being the next day after Jesus fed the multitudes and walked across the sea. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, You're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him because He said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So imagine, if you will, the pleasing aroma of freshly baked bread. Perhaps you're in the middle of a crowded market and the smell leads you over to where they are selling the bread so that you can buy enough loaves to be able to feed your family that evening. And in fact, you do this every day. You wake up, you go and earn your daily wage and you use your daily wage to go and buy daily food to provide for your family. This was common in Jesus's day. We're very spoiled today. But in Jesus's day, bread was the staple food for most people. If you didn't have bread, you didn't have food. If You didn't have food. You didn't have life. Starvation would soon be staring you in the face. People needed bread. And in John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. And that I am statement that he's the bread of life is the first of seven I am statements in the gospel of John. Later, he's going to say, I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And in each of these I am statements, Jesus gives us a word picture where he's giving us an illustration to show us that life can only be found in him. So think again about the fact that to eat bread meant to not starve. And it's in that context that Jesus says he is living bread. He is the bread of life itself. That if you come to him, you will never hunger again. Now, last week we saw four truths about Jesus being the bread of life. Four implications. Since he is the bread of life, that has implications for our heart motives and why we come to him. We come to him for bread or we come to him because he is the bread. We saw that as implications for saving faith. It's not just believing something about Jesus. It's actually coming to him for life as though you were eating of him for the very source of your life. We saw it had implications for our only hope. Jesus said that he is the bread of life. The father set his seal on him and him alone. And we saw that though he's the only hope, he is the only hope for the whole world. The life that he, uh, the bread that he gives for the life of the world is his flesh. But we left the last and the most obvious implication for today. Jesus is the bread of life. And that has something to teach us about life itself. True life. Eternal life. So if you need a catchphrase to take home with you today, perhaps it can be that Jesus is the bread of true life. He's the bread of eternal life. Take your pick. Life is the obvious focus of this chapter. So if you have John chapter 6 out in front of you, we will be jumping around today. So I encourage you to do so. I'm just going to go quickly through all the places that life is mentioned. 
Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Verse 40, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son uh, son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Verse 57, as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so whoever feeds on me also will live because of me. And verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Just a quick point. One key observation to make as you study to the Bible is to take note of any repetition of words. And perhaps if a word is repeated multiple times in a passage, that word has something to do with the purpose of that passage. And I think we just saw that the idea of life is repeated multiple times. Jesus himself is called the bread of life. And so I think it's safe to assume that John 6 is all about life. So this morning, we're going to see five things that we learn in this passage about true eternal life. (coughs) Five things about the eternal life that the bread of life, Jesus, gives us if we come to him. And they are these. It is present life. It's abiding life. It's abundant life. It is secure life, and it is resurrection life. Those five things we'll learn this morning. First, if you come to Jesus as the bread of life, you have present life, meaning you have eternal life now. Sometimes we think of eternal life as a gift that we get in the future, That once we die, then we're going to receive eternal life at that point in time. But Jesus teaches us something different. He teaches us that if you come to him, he gives you eternal life now. So look at a few verses with me to show you that. First, verse 47. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. It doesn't say will have. It says has, as in currently, presently, has eternal life. Verse 54 says the same thing. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Not will have, but has eternal life. And I think we get the same idea in verse 53. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now think about that. If you don't feast on the bread of life, who is Jesus, Jesus says you have no life in you. And doesn't Jesus by that mean now? That currently you do not have life if you do not have him. 
And if that's what he means, isn't the opposite true? Isn't Jesus teaching us that if you do have him as the living bread, you will have life now? So church, eternal life is not something that you get then. It's something you get now if you come to Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life who gives life, not then and forevermore, but now and forevermore. If you come to him now, you'll have life now and forevermore. See, the word eternal doesn't have only future implications. It has present day implications as well. It's not describing when you're going to get it. It's describing the kind of life or the quality of life that you have today. The kind of life that you have in Christ is everlasting life. It's not an everlasting life you get then. It's an everlasting life you get now. Christian, that means that you are alive today. You are as alive today as you will be in eternity. Your body is not as glorified. You struggle with sin. One day you won't. One day the Lord's going to wipe every tear from your eyes. But Christian, you were dead in your sins. And now you have been made alive in Christ. I think we tend to think about eternal life as a gift we receive after we die because we forget what our main problem is. Our main problem is not that sinners will one day die so they need life after death. Our main problem is that sinners are dead now and they need life today. And that's exactly what Jesus offers as the bread of life. Present life now for dead, weary, broken, lost souls. You might be wondering, how is it that eternal life is life now? Because you think, my body still decays. I'm still going to physically die one day if the Lord doesn't come back before then. I still sin. Paul even said in the book of Romans, who will deliver me from this body of death? So what has actually happened if you're really alive and you weren't before? In what way do you have eternal life now that you didn't have then? And we see an answer to that because of the second thing we learn about true eternal life in this passage. That in Christ, our bread of life, we have abiding life. Eternal life is life in which we abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in us. Look at verses 56 and 57. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Leon Morris says, there is the closest possible relationship so that the eater is in Christ and Christ is in the eater. At the root of eternal life is fellowship and unity and abiding with Jesus. You have life now. Because you have Jesus now. You didn't have Jesus before. So you didn't have life before. But now you identify with him and he identifies with you. So when you become a Christian, you are now, before anything else, a person who is in Christ. You have 
perpetual fellowship with Jesus. And that's what it means to be alive. So I want to explore this just a little deeper. At the beginning of this gospel, in the first chapter, we were told that in Jesus was life. But I'm also reminded of the previous chapter, in chapter 5, verse 26, where it says, As the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. So in Jesus is life, and He has life in Himself. Now, if we go back to John 6, this time verse 57, we read this. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. So John 5 said the Father has life in himself and Jesus has life in himself. And now John 6.57 says the Father is called the living Father and Jesus lives because of the Father and whoever comes and feeds on Jesus has life not in themselves but because of Him. So the Father has life in Himself, Jesus has life in Himself, but Christians are never said to have life in themselves. They have life only in Christ. They live only because of Jesus, only because they abide in him and he abides in them. You see, friends, when we were dead in our sins, we were cut off from the very life of God. God is life. We didn't have a relationship with him. We didn't abide in Jesus. Jesus didn't abide in us. But now we see this abiding life that Jesus offers In the 14th chapter, Jesus is going to say, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Imagine that. The Father and the Son coming and making their home in with the person who believes in him. In the great high priestly prayer, Jesus prays this to the Father. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Father has life, Jesus has life. Jesus is now praying that they, us, Christians, would be in them. So we were cut off from the very life of God. But he's now brought us into the very life of God. Whoever feasts on him, whoever comes to him, whoever trusts in him, whoever believes in him will have life in him. So the question is, how is it that you have life now, present life now? And it's because we have eternal life now. And eternal life is not a concept. It's a person. Jesus. If you come to him, he makes his home in you. And you are in him as he is in the father. And so therefore now you are intricately woven into the one who has life in himself. You can't help but be alive if you are connected to Christ. This is why nothing else provides eternal life. This is why nothing you do can earn it. This is why you can't find it anywhere else. 
Life must be found in the only one who is life. So true life is only in Christ. And the life that he offers at the bread of life is abiding life. Life in which you abide in him and he abides in you so that you might live forever. So he's the bread of life. It means he gives present life. He gives abiding life. He also gives abundant life. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus will say later that the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So if you can imagine, there is a gaping crater of longing that is in the hearts of sinful men and women. And we do all sorts of things to try and fill that crater ourselves. So we run to the approval of others. We seek material things that can never last. We try to fill the hole with relationships. We try to fix our guilt with donations to charity. We patch up our dissatisfaction with whatever feels good in the moment but leaves us dry in the end. Some of you might run to success. Some of you might run to having a happy family and a pretty home. Some of you might think going to church is going to satisfy. Whatever it is you're doing to fill this crater, it's like dropping only a spoonful of satisfaction into a Grand Canyon's worth of sorrow. But Jesus offers abundant life for hungry and thirsty hearts. That whoever comes to him will never hunger again. Whoever comes to him will never thirst again. When we're thinking about this image of hunger and thirst, we're reminded that there's greater joy in Jesus than a glass of cold water on a hot day. There's greater satisfaction in Jesus than your favorite meal after waiting all day for it and saving room for it. You all know the exhilaration of those things and what they can bring. But imagine eternal satisfaction for your soul. You see, abundant life doesn't mean that you'll never be sad. It doesn't mean that you'll always have the money you need in the bank. It doesn't mean you'll never long for anything good ever again. But it does mean that the basic emptiness in your heart is filled. The God-sized crater of longing is now overflowing with living bread. So there's good news for you this morning. That the hopelessness you now experience can be replaced by living hope. The guilt that you now cower under can be relieved by forgiveness. The current fear of death can be destroyed by the promise of resurrection. Your cut off relationship with God can be restored. Jesus, as the bread of life, offers abundant life to those who come to him which means you'll have all you need to live and you'll never be hungry or thirsty again. Present life, abiding life, abundant life, 
And now we see that the life Jesus gives is a secure life. I want to draw your attention to verses 37 and 39. Verse 37 says, All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Verse 39 says, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So this is screaming to us, especially for those of us who worry and doubt that Jesus has a tighter grip on you than you do on him. Perhaps you feel like your salvation is not secure, that your eternal life hangs in the balance, ready to be lost in the blink of an eye. Well, I want us to notice three things about those two verses, verses 37 and 39, and this is for our encouragement so that we can hold on to the promise of how secure our eternal life is in him. So first, just consider the mental picture that these verses bring up. Jesus says, all of those the Father gives him. All, the fa- all that the Father gives him, he'll not cast out. Of all the Father gives him, he'll lose none, but raise them up on the last day. And I read that and I was comforted by this mental picture of the Father's chosen people being held in his arms and then being safely delivered into Jesus' hands. And then I ponder Jesus protecting and keeping those people in His arms forever. Isn't there something comforting and secure about the mental picture of the Father having people and handing them safely and securely to Jesus, who will never lose them? The second thing I noticed was a potential reference back to the miracle when Jesus fed the multitudes. Because in verse 39, Jesus says, this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. He talks about losing nothing. Now, where else does that language of not losing something show up in this chapter? You can find it in the miracle of feeding the 5,000 in verse 12. Jesus feeds the multitudes and after they ate, it was time to pick up all the leftovers. And here's what Jesus says. Or this is what this text says. When they had eaten their fill, he, Jesus, told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Why did Jesus need to make sure the crumbs weren't lost? He just made enough bread for thousands of people out of five loaves. He doesn't need the crumbs. He could have left those for the birds or thrown them in the water. He could have made more if he wanted. Perhaps Jesus is giving his disciples a glimpse of his secure and keeping hand. That not a piece of bread will be lost. So surely his people won't be lost. If Jesus made sure that crumbs were secure in baskets... He will certainly keep you secure too. He has a tighter grip on you than you do on him. I noticed one more point of comfort in those verses. If you're a Christian, if you've come to Jesus as the bread of life, you can know that your eternal life is secure. Why? Because it is the will of God. We saw in chapter 5, Verse 19, that Jesus lives 
and loves to do the Father's will. And he does it perfectly without fail. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So if it's the Father's will, the Son does it perfectly. And John 6.39 says plainly, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So that provides comforting security. Sometimes I think we have a tendency to think of Jesus as the kind one, the one who saves and secures and keeps until the end, and the Father, on the other hand, is the scary one. But here we see that Jesus does the saving and the securing and the keeping because it's the Father's will for him to do so. If you have come to Jesus, it's not because you alone escaped the wrath of the Father by running away from Him to the love of the Son. It's actually because the love of the Father gave you to the Son. And the Son doing the Father's will will keep you secure forever. The life that Jesus, the bread of life, gives us, as we've seen, is present, abiding, abiding, abundant, and secure. And the last thing we see about the life Jesus gives is that it is a resurrection life. We talked about eternal life being something you have now in Christ, that it doesn't have only future implications, but present implications as well. But to be sure, the eternal life that Jesus offers does have future implications. It is a resurrection life. Verses 39 through 40 mention twice about how Jesus will raise the ones the Father gives him up on the last day. Verse 44 says the same thing. I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 54 says I will raise him up on the last day. And in other language, verse 50 says that whoever eats of this bread will not die. Verse 51 says they will live forever. And verse 58 says whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So Christians have hope of resurrection. Resurrected bodies in the new heavens and the new earth to be with God forever. Now in your own time, I want to encourage you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in your own time sometime this week and read about our resurrected bodies. But for now, I just want to close with the hope we see in Revelation 21 where John, the same writer, of this gospel says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is the life that Jesus offers as the bread of life. Present, abiding, abundant, secure, and with resurrection, hope. Life in Christ now and with Christ forevermore. So what should you do? Sometimes we read passages of Scripture and it's clear that there's something we should do with our hands and our feet. Sometimes we read passages of Scripture 
And it's clear we should do something with our thoughts, our minds, our hearts, our beliefs, our trust. Sometimes there's a command to go and obey physically. Sometimes there's a promise to hold on to. The point of this whole passage is that you should eat of this bread. That you should come to Jesus like a famished person comes for food. You should trust in him to give you what you could never give yourself, but only he could give you. In fact, he faced death on the cross so that you can have life in him. The promise is that all who come to him will have present, abiding, abundant, secure, resurrection, life.